All right. Good morning, everybody. How many of you are Go 49ers? How many of you are Go Chiefs? How many of you are Go to Lunch? How many of you don't care? Well, well, hey, uh, Jose loves me. I, I, I'm so happy. And uh, I love him, too, even though he's not here for me to tell him so. And uh, right as I was getting up, there we go. My iPad messed up. Yes, I'm fine. Hey, grab your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I wanted to mention that there's a new revolution. Uh, and uh, I'm inviting you to join it. It's actually to bring a Bible to church. Everybody's <laughs> using their devices, which is cool. You know, you got the Bible app and the U version, and it's on my iPad, and it's on my... But it's a little hard to take notes and write. I love to write in my Bible when God speaks to me, put dates on it. And so there is a revolution coming. Pastors all across the U.S. are saying, hey, why don't we actually bring the paper version and write in it? Now, I'm not trying to guilt trip those of you that don't have one, but join the revolution. Okay. Uh, we are really glad to be here. We love 26 West. I love Jose, Brandon, Scott, the elders. We're friends with so many of you, and some of you don't know us at all. So here's the thing. Some people are a blessing wherever they go. Other people are a blessing whenever they go. And we pray, <laughs> we pray and hope that we will be the former. We're glad to be here. We hope that you'll be glad we are as well when we leave. We really are glad to be here. It feels like old home week when we come because so many of you were there from the beginning days of Solid Rock, now Westside. Um, and it just feels like something about starting a church together. We just got into each other's lives and we are forever family. So thank you for having us and thank you from the bottom of our hearts for supporting us. You know, 26 West is one of our largest supporting churches, and we couldn't do what we get to do all over the world today if it wasn't for you. And I know that many of you reach pretty deep, and you give up some things in your lives in order to support our ministry, and we just want you to know how grateful, honestly, kind of astounded we are that people believe in us and believe what God is doing in families all over the United States and the world but it's because you are willing to give to our, our ministry that we get to do this. So we just want to thank you. That's right. God's called us in this season to bring biblical hope and practical help to parents as they fulfill their God-given task of raising up the next generation of passionate mm -hmm. Jesus followers. Next week, God willing, we're going to be in San Francisco, which is one of the most unkid-friendly cities on yeah. planet Earth. We know a godly couple. He was on staff at one of the large churches there, and he said when he would take his four kids into a restaurant, they would get dirty looks, like, yeah. why did you bring them in here? Yeah. And uh, it's just very kid-unfriendly, yeah. yet there, God has his people everywhere, right? Yeah. And there are a group of passionate Jesus-following young parents who can't wait to sit before the Lord and hear what God has to say to them about raising their kids up. So we get to be there next week. Thanks to you. All right. Oh, wait as, a minute. Wait a minute. Oh. This is an at-home church, right? Like you're just normal and family and stuff. And I see two of our board members for... Um, for in for um, it's called intentional. Intentional. Base. <laughs> what is our <laughs> what is our Whatever ministry called? Do. Yeah. And Tony and Beth, you're you're way in the back looking for a seat, and there's a couple of seats right up here. <laughs> Come on, Tony. I want them in the front row. <laughs> yeah, Tony and Beth. Tony was an elder here. They moved to Colorado. They're back. And if you don't know this couple, they're amazing. Yeah. And uh, we go to them. Yeah, we yes. go to them for wisdom. Yes. And I'm about to quote a verse you gave me. All right, as Jose said in his introduction uh, on the video today, Jesus wants you to know that you are what? Love. You are loved. And I just want to begin by saying whoever you are, wherever you're at this morning, whatever you have done, whatever you might be feeling today, up, down, depressed, sad, glad, you are loved by God. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 3 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. We're in His family. If you know Jesus, you've been adopted into the very family of God. In John 3, 16, for God so what? Loved the world, and that's you and me, that He gave His one and only Son. And a verse Tony texted me just yesterday, Psalm 103, verse 17, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him. 
And if those verses aren't enough, the Apostle John made it crystal clear and very simple when he said in 1 John 4, we love because He first loved us. Say that with me. We love, love because, because He first loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. Jesus sought you. I, will, I don't know about you. I wasn't even looking for Him at all. I was playing in a band, doing my thing, wanting to be a rock star, and He came and found me in His grace and His goodness, and then He bought me with His blood. He sought you, and He bought you because of His love for you, and now you and I get to love Him in return. Now, one of the pictures that God uses for this intimate and lasting love relationship between Himself and His children is, you guessed it, marriage, which is the subject of our text today in Ephesians chapter 5. I think it's so beautiful that we get to talk about this today. Diane and I want to look into Ephesians 5 with you from the Scriptures and talk about marriage. Because God uses this picture, every marriage where Jesus is at the center is to be a picture to the world of the relationship between Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church, His bride. Today we're not going to talk so much about the theology of marriage, I'm even going to skip a couple verses because the Lord, which is fascinating by the way, but the Lord has led us to get kind of down where the rubber meets the road. We want to share three practical things. We've been married 41 years, mm -hmm. and we are, we're so, I, I still love you. you I still, yes, love we're still you. in love. All right. <laughs> Just dump, you know, it's good to check in once in a while. <laughs> Do you still love me? Yes, okay. Uh, we want to talk about how the biblical truths concern, concerning marriage work out in everyday life. Simply put, what does it take to have a marriage that's not only healthy and holy, but also happy? Because let's face it, there are a lot of unhappy marriages. And if that's you today, uh, you, you don't have to stay there. I mean, I love what we just sang. Jesus, you make all things new. And that's true. That's in the Bible. If any man or woman is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. And he can take a marriage that you think there's no hope for, and he can make it new just like that. Do you believe that? You cry out to Him, and He is right there, and He makes things new. But there are a lot of unhappy marriages, and if that's you, don't stay there today. Everybody wants to live happily ever after. Have you ever met anyone that says, you know, I want to live unhappily ever after? <laughs> we like to tell parents, everybody wants to raise a good kid. Have you ever had somebody say, I want to raise the worst kid ever? No, of course not. You want to raise good kids, and you want to be happily married. Now, some of you today, you are happily married. You're the ones who are smiling, and you're holding hands, and, you know, you're just arguing over who's going to win the Super Bowl. But other than that, everything is great. Others of you are here, you're single, and you wish you were married. And that's a holy thing to, to wish for in God's timing. Some of you are here today, and you're married, but you wish you were not married. And all of us who are married, including Diana and me, have discovered that the Apostle Paul was absolutely correct in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he was arguing for the surpassing value of being single. If you haven't read this before, read 1 Corinthians 7 later today. He's saying, when you're single, it's just you and Jesus. You can have what he calls undistracted devotion to the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Paul was single. But once you get married, you have devotion to the Lord, but you also need to and want to please your spouse. And then he says something that I just laugh every time, and if you're married, you're going to laugh with me. He said, quote, 1 Corinthians 7, if you're married, you haven't sinned, <laughs> but you will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. <laughs> Some of you even got a, into a fight on the way to church today. Isn't that the worst? You walk in, how are you? We're fine, but you're not fine. All right. Well, <laughs> As we get going, just for us, how many of you here today are married? Raise your hands. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. How many of you, and there's no shame in this, you're single, but if God leads, you want to be married someday, raise your hand. Okay, and don't be, don't be shy about that. It's a beautiful thing to long for in God's timing. And those of you who aren't married, we're so glad you're here because those of us who are would tell you the best time to learn about marriage is before you are married. You'll make less mistakes. The best time to learn about how to raise godly kids is before you have one. And you can do it right out of the gate. And we're going to see today um, the biblical principles for a good marriage are the same principles that create healthy friendships as well. So mm -hmm. if you're not married, just think, oh, it's a marriage sermon. I'm going to 
you know, pull out my iPhone. No, listen, because these are things you can apply in your life. If you're single, if you're dating someone, if you're currently separated or divorced, if you're in high school or middle school, as you sit through this teaching, first know you are loved, and secondly, think about the relationships and friendships you're currently involved in, beginning with your own family, and apply these things today to your life. When Phil and I were first asked to talk about marriage, honestly, my first thought was, oh no, not that. <laughs> and not with him, <laughs> because he knows the truth. And so do I. That sometimes, lots of times, way too often, we struggle and fail at doing marriage gracefully. For one thing, I'm an introvert, which means that I like to be alone a lot. And I'm married to, obviously, an extrovert, which means he likes to be around and us to be together a lot, <laughs> yeah. right? And then sometimes he doesn't, and I do, because he's a man and I'm a woman, and so we clash. But here's the bigger truth. We have been married for over 41 years now, and we are happy, and we love each other. Even though I'm an introvert and he's an extrovert, and even though neither of us is perfect or particularly easy to get along with, <laughs> and our love has withstood some storms. <laughs> I'm sorry, I laughed. I know. I wanted to say amen Isn't to that. Just true? For myself. No, no. 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 I'm hard to get along it's with. Both of I us. didn't mean she is. No, no. <laughs> Don't insult your spouse, especially in public. All right. No, no. I, I keep going, babe. <laughs> some storms, right? Our storms, love has had some yes. storms. Four children, for one thing. <laughs> Four children who wanted and needed and disobeyed and demanded and kept us up awake at night, either worrying or caring for them, just like all of yours do. Never enough money for another. You don't choose vocational ministry to get rich, and I've rarely had a paycheck, and even then, it wasn't much, and bills piled up sometimes. They were hard to pay, and we started a church, which is akin to starting a business, and we did it together. The pressure of that certainly brought out, at times, the worst in each other, and we've known heartache, hard times, hard things. When I began to lose my hearing at age 26, it was so stressful, so exhausting. Our son's diabetes, when he turned eight, he came down with juvenile one di diabetes, a chronic, potentially fatal, 24-7 disease that every parent who has a child like that knows the stress. We've had disappointments, all of the stuff of everyday life. But here we are, still in love, no longer as infatuated as we first were, no longer insecure or unsure. After 41 years of real life, we still love each other, mm -hmm. and we are now well on our way towards growing old together till death do us part. And so today, we do want to share with you three things that when we look back, as if you're our kids, and we look back and we say, we wish we had understood these three things. These are three things that have made all the difference for us and have created between us a love that has endured and has even grown. So here we go. And the first one is found right here in our text, Ephesians chapter 5 today. And so if you're writing, uh, if you're taking notes, write these three things down. And we like to say, if you're not taking notes, write them down <laughs> because God is speaking. And these are three things directly from the scriptures that we want to share with you today. So if you want a, a love that will last literally a lifetime, if you want uh, as little trouble as possible in your marriage, if you want to have a happy and fulfilling marriage, number one, practice love and respect. Practice love and respect. In Ephesians 5, we see God's clear instruction both to husbands and to wives. This is the go-to passage on marriage for anyone who claims to be a passionate Jesus follower. Now, we don't have time today to do a thorough exposition of this text because we want to give you three principles, and so I'm going to even skip a couple of verses, but maybe later you can read and meditate on the entire chapter. But beginning in verse 21, uh, I want to read the text, and then we want to talk about it. Ephesians 5:21. submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Let me pause there <laughs> just briefly. This is the overarching command to husbands and wives and to the family of God. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It brings glory to Christ when we live in humility and submit to one another. And then the Lord gets specific. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, God speaks to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And then he tells us how. Just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Look down to verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it or nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And then finally, go down to the last verse, verse 33. And here it's, it's sort of God's like final word on the matter, his final instruction summing up what he's saying here to husbands and to wives. And it's very important. It's sort of like your father is on his deathbed, the family flies in, they make it just in time, and one by one your dad calls you over to speak to you what will probably be the last words you ever hear, and they're going to be meaningful. In the same way, it's like God says, come near church, Come near husbands, come near wives. And verse 33 says, Each one of you must love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And there you have it, two words, love and respect. Our friends Emerson and Sarah Egrich go travel around the world speaking this message because it's life-changing. And if you want to know how to have a great marriage, Get their DVDs or their book, Love and Respect, because it, it's changed our marriage and it's changing millions of marriages. But you have these two words here, love and respect. God commands the husband to love his wife. Now, remember, we're reading in English. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and so we have one word for love. I love you, babe, and I love tacos. <laughs> but I love you more than tacos. Anyway. Except when I'm really hungry. No, I'm kidding. Uh, now, you know, you've heard sermons of this. The Greek had mul Greeks had multiple words for love. Um, they had one for sexual love, eros, another one for friendship love. And then there's the word that describes the way God loves us, agape. And the word here is agapeo. And this is the way God loves us. Now, there are different definitions of this. The one I love is this. Agape love is to love unconditionally and sacrificially. Listen expecting nothing in return. That's how God loves me. That's how God loves you. Unconditionally, he takes you wherever you're at. Now, he loves you too much to let you stay where you're at because he's a good father. But you are, you are loved by him. As Jose said, and as we started off by saying, you are loved unconditionally and sacrificially. He sent his own son to die for you, and he expects nothing in return. Like, I'm going to I'm going to give you salvation if you do these things. No, it's a free gift of God's grace. This is how God loves us. A husband is commanded to love his wife in the same way, unconditionally and sacrificially, putting her first, putting her needs before his own, laying down his life for her. You know, people get all up in arms and angry about the wife as a submit to her husband. Well, it would be pretty easy to follow the leadership of a husband who's unconditionally and sacrificially putting his wife's needs before his own and laying down his life for her. And most men would fall on a hand grenade for their wife. But will you empty the dishwasher? <laughs> will you be kind to her? We're going to get into that. We have a couple who uh, attend our church uh, at Westside, and he works for Nike. They're Indonesian. Her name is Adeline. His name is Ito. And recently, they sent them to China for a couple years for a, a Nike assignment. And Adeline was crying because she loves her home, she loves Portland, she loves her dogs, and she didn't want to go, but she knew that they were called to go. And so um, Ito was having his last meeting with his boss at Nike before he headed over to China. And his boss said this, how's your wife doing? And he said, well, she's crying, she's, this is really hard, she doesn't really want to go. And then the guy said, I don't know who this boss is, he said, whatever is your wife, when you get over there, whatever is your wife's concern, make it your number one concern. Wow. 
I wonder if this guy was a follower of Jesus. You'd think he'd say, hey, just tell her to get over it. <laughs> get over there and make a bunch of money and I'll give you a fat bonus. That's what I think the supervisor might say. But no, he said, when you get over there, whatever is your wife's concern, make it your number one concern. Now, husbands, how can we possibly do this consistently day in and day out? There's only one way that I can do it and you can do it, and it's through the power of Christ who lives in you. Sometimes we say, well, you know, I can't do that. I mean, Jesus did, but he doesn't expect me to do that. Well, listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to me for the love of God to flow through me to my beautiful bride. This kind of love isn't going to just happen. I mean, when, when it's going your way and everything's great, anybody can love then. But Jesus, his love is unconditional and sacrificial, and it's consistent. I have his power available to me, and so do you if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not, today become a follower of Jesus. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make. It'll set your eternity you will know in an instant you're going to be with him forever and that your sins have been forgiven, and then you can begin to walk with him. I have this power available to me, but I have to choose to draw upon his power, right? In other words, when you become a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have you? See, I can, I can be saved, but I can grieve the Holy Spirit, quench the Holy Spirit, or I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership. The way John Corson, a pastor I respect, says it, it's really simple. Without him, I can't. Without me, he won't. Say that with me. Without him, I can't. Without me, he won't. Now, God doesn't just command me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. He does. But then he gets more specific. He tells me exactly how to do it practically. If you look again at verses 28 and 29 in the text here, he says to the husbands, he who loves his own wife loves himself. <laughs> that appeals to every selfish guy right there. Oh, <laughs> if I love her, I'm loving me. <laughs> you know, I think that's kind of funny. Maybe you don't. Anyway, no one ever hated his own body, but he nourishes and cherishes it or feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. So I'm to nourish and cherish my wife. Now, most guys are pretty good at the nourishing part, providing food, shelter, clothing, taking care of the practical needs. What most of us aren't very good at is the cherishing part. Again, the Greek word translated cherish here means tender affection. Your wife is longing. Yes, you're a warrior and you're a man, but you're also to have tender affection. You say, well, really? Yeah, well, Jesus is a warrior. He's king. He's coming back on a, on a white horse to judge the living and the dead. And he also said, I'm gentle and humble in heart. Come to me. And so we are to reflect not only uh, his, his, his strength, but also his tender affection. This word was used of a mother hen tenderly gathering its chicks under her wings to protect and care for them. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you're taking notes, just jot down 1 Peter 3 and please read this later. It's a parallel passage to Ephesians 5 on marriage. 1 Peter 3, husbands are told to live with their wives in an understanding way. Now, most husbands say, well, I do that. I'm pretty understanding, you know. But, and I thought so too until I read that verse in another translation. Get ready to get, convic get, ready to get convicted, all right? Listen to another translation. Husbands, treat your wives with tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored. For they are co-heirs with you of the divine grace of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wow. So to the husbands, I say, including myself, if your marriage isn't going so well right now, maybe the best thing you could do is what this old song my parents' generation, my parents' generation used to sing called Try a Little Tenderness. <laughs> say that with me. Try, Try a, a Little, little Tenderness. tenderness. And the Greek word tenderness, this is even more convicting, here's what it means, with consideration of what she desires and delights in, 
with intimate insight into her, not being ignorant of her preferences. Wow. God wants me to treat Diane in this way. And if I refuse to do so, forget praying. My prayers are going to bounce off the roof. God's going to say, hey, Phil, I'm really eager to answer that prayer you just prayed. But hey, first go treat Diane with tenderness the way I do. (laughs) Then I'll listen to you. Husbands, love your wives, agape, unconditionally, sacrificially, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, your wife doesn't want you to be some mechanical robot saying, I told you I loved you once, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. know, That's not going to go over. (laughs) Your wife can never get enough of you telling her how beautiful she is, how glad you are that she married you, how grateful you are that she puts up with you. You can never give her too many gifts or too much money. Ladies, can I get an amen? Come on. (laughs) Amen. Now, my wife told me to say this, and I'm almost done. I'm going to hand it to her in a second. She said to say this, as your wife gets older, staying beautiful is going to be a bit of work for her, and it's going to cost you. (laughs) She's a writer, and in a blog post, she wrote, quote, beauty in the mirror costs bucks in the wallet. (laughs) That's true. So don't be cheap. I have no idea why makeup costs so much. I have no idea like such a tiny shoe could cost so much, whatever. Just do it. If you nourish your wife and cherish her, first of all, you'll honor God, and that's what we want to do as followers of Jesus. But secondly, you'll be blessed in return. Trust me, you will. And you can tell a wife who's both nourished and cherished just by looking at her because she will grow. So husbands, love your wives. So you want to tell the dishwasher story right here? How come you emptied the dishwasher for me? I don't want to tell that. <laughs> you tell it. That's embarrassing. family. We can tell okay. that story. What, what are, what, <laughs> I what don't is, know. What did you have for breakfast? You didn't have breakfast. <laughs> oh, she said one day I was emptying the dishwasher. She goes, that's so sexy. <laughs> uh, I have not emptied the dishwasher since. <laughs> Every morning, man, first thing, put the coffee on, <laughs> empty the dishwasher. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Get start talking. Okay, <laughs> <to> my notes. <laughs> Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, we got in an argument. Can you imagine? I know that might shock some of you. Pastors and their wives, they don't fight, do they? With all that training and talking and generally being superheroes in the spiritual world, how could they possibly lower themselves to ugliness? But we did, and we do, But the possibility of my coming out the victor in a scuffle with a professional communicator has a probability factor of practically zero. (laughs) And so one day, frustrated with my inability to wrestle this man into agreement, I decided to write it down, to make a list of all the things that I was mad about. If I couldn't out-talk him, I'd out-list him for sure. (laughs) But first, I decided I better read my Bible, being the good pastor's wife that I am. This is a Monday morning, and somehow, with all the diaper bags and kids and jackets and all that, I had left my Bible at church the night before. So I rummaged around in the bookshelves until I found a different Bible, an amplified Bible. This Bible, big words, amplified Bible. Bible. Ha ha, I thought, this is just what I need to amplify my message of frustration. (laughs) I sat down on the sofa, ready to load up on all those I'm right and you're wrong verses. And just as I did, a big chunk of the Bible, this chunk of the Bible, fell into my lap. Now, we hardly even used the Bible. It must have been faulty at the beginning. And it opens straight to Ephesians 5.33. I started to read. However, let each man of you without exception love his wife as being in a sense his own self. There it is. I liked that. I kept reading. And let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband. That she notices him regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates and esteems him, 
and that she defers to him, praises him, and loves and admires him exceedingly. <sighs> I put my pen down, tore up my list, and got on my knees and cried out to God, which is exactly what he'd been waiting for me to do, waiting for me to come to him with, for wisdom and how we would do life together well. This is what God taught me that morning, years and years, decades ago, a lesson that would begin to change me and the way I dealt with the differences between us. My husband didn't need a list of what he was doing wrong in order to love me the way I longed to be loved. He needed a list of what he was doing right in order to be respected in the way that he longed to be respected. And I've watched this over the years of leading and teaching and counseling and loving women, of being a woman. I've become convinced that this is the one beautiful, mystical, silver thread of sameness that runs in every woman's veins. We respect and therefore we love. It's almost as if God is trying to tell us something, right? A woman's, a woman's love for a man is all tangled up in her respect for him. Because the truth is, when I purpose to notice those things about Phil that make me prefer him, when I regard him through the filter of honor, that's when my chest fills with those feelings of love. And I want those feelings of love till the day we die. And men, pay attention to this. This is really important. I don't think most men really understand this. Your wife's love for you is intangibly tied to her respect for you. Sure, she can practice respect on purpose, being respectful. That's our responsibility. But this truth ought to make a difference in the way you live the everyday with your wife. If you're living as a man that she can respect, not perfect, but as a man she genuinely admires, a man who's following Jesus and learning and taking care of things that God begins to show you that are out of alignment with what a holy, righteous, following after Jesus man is like. If you will do that, you will be well on your way to creating in your wife's heart a, a love that withstands anything as she grows and grows in her respect for you. Oh, I think somebody's going to clap for you. Whoa. No, no. You have fans. All I want to say is thank God for the Amplified Bible. <laughs> Amazon.com, guys. Get one soon. All right. So if you want a marriage that has very little trouble, there's no perfect marriage, including ours, yeah. If you want to love that lasts a lifetime, practice love and respect. Say it with me. Practice, practice love, love and, and respect. respect. And when you blow it, the reason we say practice is because when you blow it and you will, just like I do, what do you do? You humble yourself, you ask forgiveness of the Lord and of your spouse, and you keep going. Number two, if you're taking notes, if you want a marriage that is healthy and a love that lasts a lifetime, number two, accept each other's differences. Accept each other's differences. Romans chapter 15, verse 7 says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, that verse is addressing the family of God. We're part of His family right here today, and we're commanded to accept one another. Why? Because just as Christ accepted us, He took us as we are, and He's molding us into the very image of Jesus Himself, and that's, that's an inner work that He does. Now, interesting here, again, the Greek word translated accept here. Um, it also means to be hospitable toward each other or welcome each other. So in the family of God, we're not supposed to be looking around at who's failing and who we can judge and rebuke. We're supposed to look at ourselves, and we're supposed to look at who we can bless and forgive and love. And we're to welcome each other. And in marriage, we're to welcome each other as well. And you know what it's like when you feel welcome. And we just got back from Bend uh, where we went over to record the next uh, season of our Intentional Parents podcast. And while we were there, we went over to our daughter Elizabeth's house 
uh, and Brooke, our son-in-law, who used to be on staff here, to have dinner. And we came to the door. They have four kids, 10, 7, 3 and a half, and 1 and a half. We could hardly get in the door. Like, they came running to the door. Duke's 10. He's the first one, the biggest. So he kind of shoved his sisters out of the way. <laughs> Not in a rough way. He was like this. Diane came in, hug. And then I came in, hug. Right behind him was seven-year-old Scarlett, like, I'm next, hug. Birdie's coming down the stairs, ah, screaming with joy, pops and all are here. And little baby Sloan's like this. I, got, I mean, I felt, we felt welcome. So like, welcome. man, we're like the king or something or the president. We felt so welcome walking into that house. We felt accepted and loved. And so I asked, ladies, is that how you greet your husband when he walks in the door? <laughs> Not that he's king, but I mean... You say, hey, babe, so good to see you, and give him a hug or a kiss, or do you give him, like, it's about time you got home. Why didn't you call me? And did you do what I asked you to do, by the way? <laughs> no, that's not the way to do it. And by the way, husbands, same is true for us. I wonder what would happen in our marriages if we simply practiced hospitality towards each other and being welcoming towards each other. Diane and I are actually working on practicing this in our own life. Now, the Bible commands us to accept each other, but if you want a, a loving marriage, you're going to have to go a little further than just accepting your spouse. You're going to have to welcome them and appreciate them, which is why we call this point, appreciate each other's differences. Now, to you husbands, this will mean embracing the fact that God made your spouse unique. She's not a carbon copy of you, but viva la difference, right? A while ago, our staff at Westside took um, one of these tests, like you've taken the Myers-Briggs and different ones. This one's called Strength Finder. Some of you have taken it. And there's an intro video before you take the test, and it says, there's only one person who will score exactly like you on this test in 33 million. So it, it's God's made us all unique. So think about that if you're single. So if I could date 33 million people and find the person that is exactly like me, then we'd look at each other and we'd say, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what I want for dinner. <laughs> we'd never have any conflict. It'd be, it is so easy to think, to make the mistake, rather, of thinking, if my spouse was just like me, everything would be great around here. Maybe so, but it would be absolutely boring. <laughs> but alas, maybe you've heard this before, opposites attract, but then opposites attack. <laughs> To the married men here, God says this about the value of your wife. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. This is Proverbs 18, 22. Finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. In Proverbs 31, 10, an excellent wife who can find her worth is far above jewels. God gave Diane to me as a gift. He belongs to her. After his gift of salvation, she's the greatest gift he's ever given me along with our children. And she's a treasure. When I don't treat her the way he wants me to as the treasure that she is, he's not pleased. And all of you married men here, your wife is a gift from God to you, and she's more valuable than a million dollars. But listen, she's not exactly like you. She's different from you. And as her husband, you need to appreciate how God made her and how he's gifted her. She's better at some things than you are, and we as guys need to recognize it and admit it. She's gifted in areas that you aren't. Our wives complete us. We like to say, yeah, God brought Eve to Adam. Well, that's because Adam needed help. <laughs> he wasn't complete. And, and, and there are holes hugely lacking in us, and our wives fill those holes, and together we're partners and companions. Now, this can be hard for guys at times. Um, it was hard for me uh, when our kids left the home. When our kids were little, I was a pastor. I was loving serving the Lord in ministry. Diane loved being home with the kids, and she was by my side as much as she could possibly be. And we went through years and years and years of that, like 30 years, because there were six years between number three and four. But more recently, when all of our kids were married and out of the house, she finally had time to focus on what she believed was her calling, which is writing. She's already written two books that have been published. For me, that meant a lot of time where she wasn't by my side. She was off in her little cabin in our backyard alone, stewarding the, this gift and calling. And to be honest with you, at first, I didn't like it very much. It was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, I wonder if she's not making any dinner. She's, she's out. I guess maybe I better figure it out. You see, I wanted her attention. So the kids are gone. Now it's all about me, right? I wanted everything to evolve around me. What's that saying, babe? Women are a bottomless pit of need, 
and men are an endless stream of want. <laughs> like, you know, if your marriage is that way, I need more of you, and I want more from you, you're not going to do so well. But Ephesians tells me, and we didn't read this verse, but I'm to present her, I'm to wash her in the water of the word and present her holy and blameless to God. I'm to serve her and help her become everything Jesus wants her to become. She's a gifted writer, so now her gifts become my responsibility. I'm learning not to just tolerate her gifts and differences, but actually love and appreciate them. And can you imagine how love that, that makes me feel? That instead of just kind of sneaking in what I love to do, sort of on the sly, that Phil's actually seeing this as a gift and gifts and responsibility to steward. It's amazing. That's done amazing things for our marriage. And yes, I, I know that dinner is like the highlight of your days every day. So Followed I'm really by, you know, preceded by trying lunch. not <laughs> to get caught up. Everything about Phil and I, as I said earlier, are opposite extremes. I'm the introvert. I need vast amounts of time alone to think and ponder. I love to read and study. I'm generally quiet at home, serious. Phil's an extrovert who needs plenty of time to play, have fun. He loves a crowd, and he lives life at full volume, loud. And we were raised in entirely different families. My family growing up were all about valuing everything being in order, cleanliness, neatness, everything kept up just so. Our best times as a family, my best memories in my growing up family were those times when we worked on a project together, like maybe painting the deck or cleaning up the yard. My family's motto could have been the family that works together stays together. <laughs> Phil's motto, the family that plays together yes. stays <laughs> together. Right. Labor Day would come around each year, and my family would work on some sort of good Labor Day weekend project together. Phil thinks that's appalling. Yeah. Well, that was one of our first fights. Not our first fight. Our first fight was on our honeymoon. That's really depressing. That's but anyway, depressing. we had another one earlier. It was Labor Day. I said, it's Labor Day holiday. You take a break from work. And so what don't you understand about that? Anyway, let's keep going. Okay. It's Labor Day. You celebrate No, no, no it's holiday. Look, keep going. <laughs> Follow your notes. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and so as you can imagine, we have had a steep learning curve in order to satisfy both of us. Phil, learning what a clean garage <clears throat> is so important to me. Anybody? Oh, isn't it just a rush to pull your clean car into your clean garage? Oh. No car is clean in <laughs> Portland in February. It just leaves mud and we leave. <laughs> keep going. Okay. <clears throat> And me grasping or trying to grasp Phil's immense need to have fun. I don't need to have fun. Such a waste of time. <laughs> but we are learning that in order to have a love that thrives, we need to create a place where each of us can thrive. And we take on that task for each other. That's the important point to know. I promote need, Phil's need for fun. I get it. Phil needs fun. I even try sometimes to be a little bit fun, or at least to lighten up a little bit. And Phil protects my need to be alone enough to be Phil, or at least tries to understand my genuine need for order. <laughs> genuine need. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to understand, <laughs> we were late to a comp to the airport once for a conference, and our son Matt was picking us up. We were really late. He knew that we were late. I'm running out the driveway with the suitcases. The front door's open, and he goes, aren't you guys late? I go, yeah. He goes, why is mom vacuuming? <laughs> Do you need to ask? She was vacuuming herself out of the house. So it'd be so absolutely great. perfect, whether or not we made the flight, right? So. It's the best feeling, but Phil, you've got to be honest here. I Why am. were we rushing out the door early so that we could stop by Pete so we could have a fun drive to the airport? With coffee, that's true. Coffee. <coughs> uh, get back to your notes. <laughs> uh, honestly, in that moment, Phil could have chosen to say something really cutting to me. I'm sure it had to be tempting, but he didn't. Instead, he just shrugged his shoulders and said to Matt and Simona, you know your mom, she just needs to. 
<laughs> and he's been laughing and teasing me ever since. But here's what I've learned. Women marry men hoping that they can change them, right? You know, just a little tweaking here and there, <laughs> neaten them up, get them to see the world my way. Men marry women hoping they will never, ever change, that they'll stay that sweet, compliant, skinny woman that they were in marriage. <laughs> I'm not going to respond to that. All right. If you want a love that lasts a lifetime, practice love and respect. Appreciate each other's differences. Say it. Appreciate, Appreciate each, each other's, other's differences. One more and we'll be done today. Number three, stay best friends. Stay best friends. In Genesis, we read that after God made Adam, after he made the beautiful world, we get to enjoy the moon, the stars, the oceans, the coffee bean. How did I ever get along without Pete's coffee? After saying everything that he made, he said, it is what? Good. But then he declared that there was one thing that was not good. Genesis 2, 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable or corresponding to him. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took out of the man's ribs, one of the man's ribs, and closed up the place with flesh. And I love that. Not from his feet, not from his head, but from his side. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So to state the obvious, when God said it isn't good for man to be alone, he didn't create three buddies to have a beer and watch the Super Bowl with, <laughs> where the 49ers are going to beat the Chiefs. Anyway, um, <laughs> and I know that two-thirds of you hate me because there's more Chiefs fans than 49ers, but here's the thing. I'm not a prophet, so don't stone me if I'm wrong. All right. False prophets you stone. Okay. He brought him Eve, not three dudes, okay? I like to say Eve, not Steve, all right? The one, the one who completed him in every way. And Genesis 2, 24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And that word in Hebrew means glued together in such a way that it's impossible to separate without destroying what God put together. Guys, your wife completes you. She's to be your partner in life. She's to be your one and only lover which is why pornography is so evil and, and deadly and destructive, as well as affairs. She's to be your only lover, but listen, she should also be your best friend. A few years ago, our youngest son, Matt, got married, and uh, they went to one of this exotic honeymoon, and he Instagrammed, I married my best friend. And I thought, well, that's nice. I mean, but of course, everyone's going to say that on their honeymoon, right? And if you can't, you should not be getting married. The challenge isn't to just be best friends, it's to stay best friends. By the way, many people say that it's actually a dog that is man's best friend. And there may be some truth to that, you know, because a dog is so accepting. But I heard, I heard a guy say this once, if you want to know who your best friend is, lock your wife and your dog in the trunk of your car, come back an hour later, and see which one is happy to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I love that joke. It's the first time I got to use it. Thank you. You give me courage. You give me courage to share it again and again. All right. <laughs> when we put this message together, we are going to call this point Be Best Friends. But we change it because the challenge is to stay best friends. How do you do that? That's another sermon for another time. Uh, if we get invited back, we'll, we'll share. But keeping short accounts, being kind, watching what uh, Song of Solomon calls the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. Sometimes it's not a big catastrophe that ruins your marriage. It's just a little critical stuff that you say towards yeah. each other and you start distancing yourself from each other. Then the first things that go is your physical relationship and you're in the same house, but there's no tenderness and no love flowing. And so in the Song of Solomon, it says this, this my lover this, my friend. This is God's plan. This is a design. Now, in the New Testament book of Titus, older women are told to encourage the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. Now, you would think the word love there would be the Greek word agape, that Paul tells Titus, hey, tell the older women to teach 
the younger women to sacrificially and unconditionally love their husbands. But it's not. It's the Greek word phileo, which is friendship love, where we get the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So God commands wives to be friendly toward their husbands. So Paul says, Titus, hey, tell the older women to teach the younger women how to phileo their husbands, not fillet their husbands. All right. (laughs) So they can stay best friends. And I want to be that best friend, and I know you do too. Most wives I know are really good at loving their husbands. We serve. It's almost instinctive. We take care of them. All that laundering and cooking and keeping lives in order and helping in every area of their lives, but being friendly. Too often we start to act like the CEO of the corporation. We're barking orders and evaluating our employees, or in my case now, just the employee. (laughs) It doesn't work so well for creating a flourishing love. We were with these friends of ours who teach the best conference on marriage that I've ever been to, Love and Respect. I echo what Phil said, go to Love and Respect. At least get the videos and watch them one at a time and learn from people who study this with beautifully. Emerson, though, we were with this couple and we were having lunch with them and Emerson made a statement that just about blew my socks off. He said, men marry their wives because, and I thought he knew exactly what he was going to say, because he thinks she's beautiful or because she, he's madly in love with her and he can't live without her. This is not what, that's not what he said. This is what he said. Men marry their wives because he thinks she likes him. I said, whoa, 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 back up. Are you serious? Men marry women first and foremost because he thinks she likes him? That's crazy. But there was Phil across the table nodding his head just a little (laughs) bit too enthusiastically. (laughs) And I need to stop and tell you men something right here. That is not why your wife married you. She did not marry you because you liked her. She married you because she was madly in love with you and you were in love with her and your life together was going to be wonderful, perfect, romantic, just like when you were dating. Right, girls? (laughs) Yes. And because you pursued her. And women love to be pursued. My mama used to say to me, don't chase boys, die. Run just fast enough to get caught. (laughs) Oh, good advice. It worked. Girls being friendly to and about and towards our husbands is crucial. More vital than any of us will ever quite understand if we were to keep their love for a lifetime. Sure, he wants you to be beautiful. He's pleased that you take care of him. He's impressed that you're smart, that you're good at what you do. But what trumps all that, honestly, is this one thing, that you are friendly towards him, that you think friendly thoughts that come out in friendly words, that you assume friendly motives, that you talk friendly, that your face looks friendly when he walks inside the door, like Bertie, our granddaughter, running down the stairs to greet us with such joy. Maybe we do it a little bit more sophisticated than that, but that idea of being friendly towards our husbands, let's not forget that over the years of being married. And guys, your wife wants and needs you to be friendly towards her as well. I heard it said one time, no one wants to cuddle a porcupine. (laughs) When it comes to love and respect, both husband and wife need love. Both husband and wife need respect. But you guys, your wife wants you to be her friend as well as her lover. And this will require paying attention to her, taking walks with her, and listening to her, both what she shares verbally and listening to her heart. And if you're at all like me, it will mean putting your iPhone in another room, and maybe even turning it off. On our day off now, I'm turning off my phone. It's hard, I'm going to therapy, but but I'm turning it (laughs) off. Diane keeps hers on. Our kids know that they can reach us on on our Sabbath day off. But she needs to know that she has my attention. It's something I have to work at, not because I don't love her, just because I'm a detail-oriented person. I'm addicted to my phone, like too many of us are. 
She needs to know that I'm interested in her. She needs to know that I'm being friendly towards her, and she needs to see, and she looks to see if I'm actually listening to her. David Osberger said this, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. At the end of this month, God willing, we're heading down to Carmel, our, our um, romantic honeymoon spot on the California coast uh, where we honeymooned many years ago. The reason we're going is because we want to stay in love with each other. We, we don't want to say we were once best friends. We want to say we are still best friends. If you want to be happy while married, if you want as little trouble as possible, if you want to love that lasts a lifetime. And if you're single today, but you want to have healthy relationships with those closest to you and enjoy life, say these three things with me and we'll pray. Practice love and respect. Practice love and respect. Appreciate each other's differences. Appreciate each other's differences. Stay best friends. Stay best friends. If you do those three things, and you draw upon God's power to do them, you will be blessed, I guarantee it. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand together for prayer. Please just put your stuff down, and would you just close your eyes and bow your head before we begin to sing and worship the Lord. I want to pray for you, but before I do... I don't know where you're at today, those of you who are married, but I know God is speaking to every husband and every wife. He's always speaking whenever the scriptures are opened. And Would you say, Lord, what do you want to say to me right now? How do you want to change me to be more in keeping with your heart for me? And I love the Lord. He doesn't give you 25 things to go do, but he usually gives you one <laughs> or two. Maybe it's practicing unconditional, sacrificial, tender love. Maybe some of you husbands are like, yeah, man, I need to be this kind of lover to my wife. Maybe some of you wives, you haven't been honoring your husband. You've been seeing his faults, and there are plenty of them, and you've been focusing there. Maybe God is saying, no, no, no. Let's do what Jesus said. Take the log out of your own eye so you can see clearly enough to take the speck out of your spouse's eye. Maybe it's a new realization that, yes, you're very different, and he's very different, and she's very different, but viva la difference, how beautiful. Maybe you're saying, you know, we've been drifting apart. There's a little too much coldness. It's just the kids are taking all our energy, and we're not tending the home fire. Maybe this week it's like, I'm going to take my wife on a date. We're going to find time to just sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk. Maybe you're at a desperate place right now. And if you are, I thank God that you're here today because God is the rescuer of those who are in deep trouble. <laughs> and he simply says, come to me and I will make all things new, as we sang earlier. And he's longing to do that. He can't wait to do that. All you need to do is cry out to him. When you cry out and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. He's right there. As we draw near to him, he is instantly there for you and so father thank you for every married couple here i pray that the marriages here will become stronger even this week than they are now that husbands will love their wives more beautifully wives will honor their husbands more practically that they would again treasure each other and thank you that they've been brought together and that you will create a deep friendship so that many can say, we've been married 35 years, we've been married 41 years, and we are still in love. And let me remind you that Jesus not only wants this for you, he's with you, and he's also the model. When we wanna know what love is like, we just look at God. God is love, it says in 1 John. When we wanna know what it feels like to be fully accepted, Jesus fully accepted us to the glory of God. If you want to know what a friendship looks like, he said, I no longer call you slaves or servants. I've called you friends. And so, Lord, thank you so much for showing us what it's like to love and showing us what it's like to live in intimacy. And thank you, Lord, for creating marriage, this beautiful gift and this beautiful picture to the world. 
Lord, for those that want to be married someday, I pray their marriage would be healthy and holy and happy. They would wait for just the right person and that you would raise up another generation of people who love you and whose marriages are centered on you. We love you, Lord. Continue to speak to us. And as we worship and sing, we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Oh, that's okay. Hey, if... Um, Thank you. Jesus makes all things new, but we need to come to him. And so if you're here, whatever situation you're in, if you would like to be uh, joined with someone and be prayed for this morning, right across to my left through this door is a prayer room. Some of you have gone there before. Maybe you say, I've never gone there before. The thought of going there is kind of scary, but I need prayer. Uh, as we begin to sing and as Brandon leads us, make your way over there. We have people that would just come around you and they'll be loving and they'll pray for you and the Bible says we should seek. We live in community. We're part of the family. We're all on the same journey and so make your way over there. It doesn't have to be centered on marriage. It can be anything in your life. We're eager to pray with you this morning. So let's sing and worship. The prayer room is open.